0: All right, Tim, as my 15-year-old son would say, how you doing? How you
1: doing, Tim? How you doing? That sounds like something <laughs> John Barber would say. I, I don't know why that <laughs> popped into my head, but you said that, and I was like, that sounds like something John Barber would say.
0: Oh, that's on the Friends. Wasn't oh, that Joey Tribbiani used Joe- to say that to the ladies?
1: <laughs> how, you, how you doing?
0: Yeah. So, Tim, I got some worldly advice for you, and I hope you take it uh, with uh, great, great... uh Caution, okay? Okay. Over the weekend, I saw the movie Cocaine Bear, Tim,
1: oh, oh, and
0: it's one of the top five worst movies
1: I've ever seen. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> Did you expect it to be anything but that, though? No. 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 But, you
0: know, I like Elizabeth Banks. She directed and produced it, but it just didn't,
1: <laughs> it didn't work. Isn't so, like that one yeah. of the last Ray Liotta movies, too? He was in it, yeah. Okay, it, that's a movie I will not be seeing anytime soon. All right, let's
0: uh, let's uh, get to the meat of the uh, podcast, Tim. We have a good show. We uh, we're going to talk heat pump technology and electrification. All those buzzwords, Tim. We're going to get uh, we're going to get after it. What do you think? Let's do it. let's bring in our guests. We have Jennifer Russell, a returning guest. We had her on during the AHR show in Atlanta. She is Loch Segment Development Manager, Decarbonization. And we have Josh Green, Corporate Vice President, Government and Industry Affairs for A.O. Smith. Welcome, everyone.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks for having us. Yeah. So I guess I'm going to start with uh, kind of describe your positions, you know, what, what your job, I mentioned your job titles, but what, do, what does that mean? What do you guys do for your respective companies?
3: Sure, happy to. And, and John, Tim, thanks for having us. Um, so as my title uh, somewhat connotes, um, I am the company's uh, corporate vice president and I oversee global government regulatory industry affairs for A.O. Smith at the parent level. Um, so I work with all of our business units, um, including Lock and Bar, but our drinking water business, uh, of which is not part of uh, our podcast today, as well as our research and technology uh, divisions uh, around the globe. And I essentially do a lot, most of my interface uh, on behalf of the company um, in front of regulators, policymakers, both elected and appointed, um, across the world, but uh, primarily in Europe and in uh, here in North America. Um, I also help the business units uh, strategize uh, with regulations, interpretations, um, and where we want to uh, be headed consistent with product development and market goals. So it's really all about making sure that we're executing on our business goals and objectives and trying to get government either uh, to help or get out of the way.
2: Again, as the segment development manager for decarbonization, um, I, I have the opportunity to work with Josh quite often these days. Uh, but my my primary role with the company is um, for the lock and bar uh, business. I oversee our. There's a few key functions I'm doing. I oversee our product management group within the segment. Um, I I'm responsible for the three year product roadmap. So we we actually envision a product roadmap well beyond three years, but uh, then we got to drill it down a little bit to, to shorter term there. So oversee, um, decide what what products we need to develop over the next three years within this segment, uh, as well as I am leading those projects. So as we put development teams together and uh, actually go through that process, um, I meet with, with those teams every day, make sure that as the product, comes to life, that it's meeting the ever-changing, it feels like, um, you know, demands of the market. Uh, So that consists of getting, you know, voice of customer, understanding regulatory changes, understanding technologies that are available, and then trying to bring all that together uh, to bring products to the market at the right time.
0: So Josh, you had mentioned uh, before we jumped on that you've been in D.C. since what, 1992, right? Correct. And... You know, you've seen a lot change. You've seen a lot of technology come to the forefront. I'm assuming your team has gotten bigger over the over the past what five, ten years. That you know, the more regulations and and uh, you know, heat pump technology, for example. I mean, these things are all moving forward.
3: Yes, uh, they, they certainly are. Um, in our function, we're a team of three in uh, here in DC. Um, And then we work with subject matter experts like Jennifer uh, and others in the business uh, across the globe, uh, whatever it is that we're uh, otherwise working on. Um, But from my perspective, having been in Washington, D.C. for so long, um, you know, technology certainly comes and goes, that's for sure, innovation and how policy and and regulations impact that. Um, But in our space, um, certainly we have seen a Chronologically speaking, probably an exponential increase uh, as relates to energy efficiency, more efficient water heating and space heating equipment, and certainly here in the United States, the utilization of heat pump technology, which certainly, as Jennifer knows, is one of our subject matter experts. But um, you know, you and you and Tim, you know, heat pump technology is more has been more ubiquitous outside of the United States, and when you kind of think about it that way. Um, There are a lot of different variables for that, but by the same token, uh, it's certainly a technology that uh, can save consumers and our customers a a whole lot of money, Um, but, you know, comes with challenges um, and barriers uh, as well. Uh, And I'll conclude here by saying, certainly tying into the policy initiatives surrounding climate change, the reduction of carbon intensity in the built environment. Uh, heat pump and heat pump technology um, is the topic du jour. And this administration, the Biden-Harris administration, is uh, at the federal level moving moving quickly. But as Jennifer knows better than anyone, um, at the state and local level here in the United States, um, they're moving even faster. Jennifer, when it comes to
1: product innovation, is it technology that really, is that the tail that wags the dog? Or is it a, voice a customer or all the stuff that you talked about that kind of is put together to create that innovation or is it just technology?
2: No, yeah, I, I think there's, there's a mix of both. And, uh, as, as Josh was alluding to, I mean, just here of the last few years, just recently, you know, there's, there's been a lot of regulatory push in the market. I don't think it's, it's been as much, um, you know, manufacturers pushing technology and, and, and product out as much as it has been, uh, you know, a desire both both through regulation, uh, through, you know, corporate GHG reduction uh, goals to, to, to bring this forward. Um, and now you're seeing a response from manufacturers and, and like ourselves. Um, but that's not always the case. I mean, that's important to understand, right, because even as a, a product manufacturer, we have to understand the technology that's available from a component level to, to feed into that full product. And and it's it you know part of our role in our job as a manufacturer to help make sure our component suppliers understand what's happening, what the market needs are so that they, you know, they can develop the right things at the right time as well. Uh, but I've seen it the other way around. Also, you know, um, before working in in this role, my, my role was in actually working on our gas combustion uh, products, and absolutely we we pushed you know technology and and continued to innovate and in the market. As soon as they got it, you know really took with it, run with it, and saw the benefits of the increased efficiency or you know improved operation. Um, so while. You know, my, my at least from my position and where I feel things kind of started with specifically like commercial heat pump water heating, um, I think the market has driven it more, but now we're seeing um, you know, lots of lots of technology and innovation and, and new products come out of that as well.
0: So Josh, uh, you know, this podcast and a lot of well, our audience is, you know, down to the contractor level. And let's face it, there's a lot of contractors that are more conservative in their politics. And when they hear electrification, and they hear about electric trucks, and they hear about, you know, gas bans and things like that, they you know, they're not necessarily happy about <laughs> that news. But how do you how do you fight this? How do you educate? How do you, you know, you're, you're on you're on the you're on the pulse of this in in Washington D.C. How do you how do you deal with all this?
3: Yeah, it's a great question, John. And first and foremost, uh, we love our contractors. Uh, yes, I know, uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, and our reps, you know, they 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 make us uh, who we are, and uh, they're a tremendous resource both obviously in uh, equipment knowledge and installation, but um, going to what Jennifer uh, knows all too well and, and our company voice of the customer, you, you can't get a better voice than speaking to, to, to contractors. So th- there's a lot going on, obviously, uh, with electrification, building decarbonization. Um, you know, We have a corporate position on it. Um, there are pragmatic ways to lower the carbon intensity of the built environment. Um, there is not a one size fits all solution to this. The notion of banning gas um, doesn't make sense to us from a pragmatic uh, point of view. Um, and people can talk and we get this all the time, you know, cold climate, heat pumps and, and all the rest of it uh, until that first winter. Or maybe even if you're in Texas, you know, you freeze, right? So you don't have to be in a cold climate per, per, per se. One of the things that I'm noticing um, in my travels, uh, both here in D.C. and talking to regulators, um, but also around the country and in Canada and other places so pragmatism is beginning to creep in a little bit here, um, and the notion that um, gas uh, will still be in our mix, certainly for electricity generation, but more so for space heating and water heating, um, will be here for for some time. It's it's a matter of balance. You know, most people do get their water heating from electricity. At this point, when you look at kind of the the DOE statistics and numbers. Um, in in household consumption. Um, But one of the things that our contractors are telling us uh, day in and day out is, gosh, this practically, how's this gonna work? I mean, we have people who have water heaters in a small closet in their home. It fits, it's safe, it's doing the job. And now you're gonna tell me that I have to put in this heat pump water heater, which, okay, is a more efficient, but costs four X more. And then I got to figure out how to install it. So there, there are all of these things that I think practically the policymakers and regulators that have been foisting and the environmental groups that many of whom we work with. So um, it's not an antagonistic on a policy level are realizing the practicalities, right? The some of the barriers and the challenges that lie ahead. Um, so one of the things that we do at AO Smith is bring that voice of the customer, bring the voice of the contractor to some of these higher policy and regulatory discussions. And it just cannot be a one size fits all. There's gonna to have to be a transition. And for some households, having a high efficiency piece of gas fired equipment, by the way, from a lower efficiency piece of equipment that they may have today, that actually saves GHGs. There is improvement, right, from an efficiency standpoint. And where an electric to electric conversion can happen and it's affordable, maybe that makes some sense. Um, but it's these practicalities that are beginning to creep into some of the policymaking activity. But macro level, you know, we're we're dealing with regulators every single day trying to push back on, again, on pragmatism, not that we shouldn't be doing things um, to help folks save money, but we got to be pragmatic about it.
0: Yeah, I I do like that word to describe it. You know, a pragmatic approach uh, seems fitting.
1: I was going to say, I don't know if pragmatism and politics go hand in hand, (laughs) but it sounds that behind the doors, people are actually talking and trying to get things done. Is that what I'm hearing, Josh?
3: Yes, for the the most part, Tim, the, the folks that, when I say folks, regulators, bureaucrats, others that actually have to implement these things, And with whom we talk all the time with, they are realizing it. It's their bigger bosses, of course, (laughs) where sometimes the pragmatism gets disjointed from what they want to do from a policymaking perspective.
1: You talked a little bit earlier, Josh, about the differences between the federal and the state level and local level. How in depth do you get with some of the state and local regions versus the federal?
3: Very in depth. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time in some of the larger jurisdictions that are moving uh, uh, more aggressively on building decarbonization electrification. So I spend a lot of time in California and California regulators know our company very well. Uh, New York State, New York City uh, in particular, those are kind of the, the, the coast, the poles, right? If you will, of this, of this particular movement. Um, And then there's some local jurisdictions that are, you know, in in between that are doing these things like Denver. You you probably wouldn't think that Denver would be doing this, but Denver is on a very aggressive electrification push uh, uh, for its building. So we we go all the way down to that local city level, uh, Tim, and um, we're also a very respected voice. Um, You know, we don't come with uh, pounding on the table. We try to come with some solutions, but we also want to educate at the same time,
0: Jennifer. Uh, I, I was obviously I know about uh, some of the heat pump products, the the heat pump water heaters that uh, that A.O. Smith and Lock and Bar. It's the Voltex AL. That's uh, A.O. Smith's version, and the Veritas is the Lock and Bar. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, the the Veritas is a new commercial heat pump water heater um, that that we're Actually, uh, going to be officially launching next month. We previewed it at, at AHR, uh, so we're really excited to uh, to bring it to the market uh, with the full release next uh, next month, and and uh, shipment starting later this year. And uh, maybe Josh could speak a little bit about the the, the Voltex product.
3: Yeah, we're really excited, and the the team is excited about the Voltex you know Res uh, heat pump water heater, uh, very high UEF, low sound. Um, 240 volt product. Uh, we think it's a great fit for uh, certainly for new construction, uh, for sure, and certainly it has some retrofit applications. As a best in class product, but you know, kind of circles back to in this retrofit market, which you know you guys know better than better than most, and certainly our contractors know, is 85% of the market, right? And um, we still got to figure out uh, where where this product, best in class product, can fit in some people's homes and where it may not, but, um, it's a great product and we're looking forward to seeing more in the install base.
0: Well, I was going to say, you know, if you look at the homeowner level there, you know, their hot, their water heater goes out or something happens and they call the contract and like, you know what, just fix it. I don't care what you put in, whatever you, you know, you're loyal to whatever product it is. Um, it's changing that homeowner's mindset to the future of looking at these products. And I think it's, you know, it's up to to you and it's up to us as a media company, and it's up to contractors to teach um, you know their customer base that this is the future. This is not something that's gonna be this is not a phase. This is this is the future.
3: You know, I would concur, uh, certainly as it relates to education, awareness, proactive replacement is something that we've always worked worked on at AO Smith and just our, our broader company. Rightly so, you know, John kind of spot on. We, we all know that, you know, when our water heater uh, breaks or it needs to be replaced, the one cold shower rule, right? So, um, you know, you, you, you want to get in and get your hot water uh, back up and running and heat pumps, uh, again, great technology, but it's not the same kind of installation ease, right? It's not a like-for-like situation. Um, you know, we, we do have in this retrofit Market, uh, We're starting to see the burgeoning of um, 120 volt heat pump water heaters, kind of, you know, a a plug in uh, approach at 40 gallons and above. But again, those have um, some benefits, but potentially uh, some challenges, um, especially if it's a family of four or five, um, you know, uh, it's going to have a different kind of recovery cycle. So um, there, there, are some, there are some new products, but uh, at the same time, education and awareness is key. And I think the broader stakeholders uh, in electrification are kind of getting that. But for us, it comes back to our contractors, right? Getting them comfortable with the product, with the technology, how best to go to market. And we get feedback from them and give them the resources and the tools to help them make those transitions with their customers.
2: Yeah, we're definitely seeing that on the commercial side as well. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, you know education that goes into this. Everything from you know helping with with sizing, uh, just because you, you're not going to do this the same way you did a, a gas uh, system, all the way to you know properly applying on the the piping design. Um, you know, new considerations that for for heat pump water heaters that didn't have to think about for, for boilers before. So we, we spend a lot of time um, just educating, try, trying to help folks make this successful on, on the front end um, so that you're not, you know, getting to the end of this uh, installation and then disappointed with the, the performance of the operation. It's, it's really key to get that front end system design right um, before you, before you, you know start this thing up and expect it to be super simple and, doing everything you need and providing all the hot water. And if you do it right, absolutely it will. It's just taking some time to to get folks educated and up to speed.
1: As part of that education and training, are there elements of the Inflation Reduction Act that are also um, intertwined in, you know, that downward flow of information to help contractors and the end user know where there are some benefits and rebates and stuff like that?
3: That's a great question, Tim. And actually there is. Um, And it's something that we worked on when the legislation was uh, getting made, the proverbial sausage making uh, here in D.C. But there was a separate line item in the bill um, that gave the Department of Energy 200 million dollars in grant making authority to states and their requisite state energy offices or the equivalent uh, uh, office in, in a state. Uh, that they could use for uh, contractor training, uh, for energy efficiency. But really, you know, it's more so about heat pump (laughs) technology. And and states can apply. And there are a lot of states that already have uh, submitted applications, not all 50, obviously. We knew that as an industry, that was probably something that uh, should be part of the bill. Um, so that there can be uh, more extensive training, uh, as well as, as we've heard in some states, um, an absolute shortage <laughs> of trained contractors. Um, so, you know, in this case, right, pragmatism, policymakers hurt us on that one, at least. <laughs> so, Tim,
0: I like what you did there, the downward flow of information. Oh, that was perfect. <laughs> So Tim and I uh, recently went to Ish over in Germany um, back in March. Was it Tim? Yes. It was. And you know, you're seeing stuff that you might not see here for a while, or may not ever. Uh, you know, there's mixed fuel boilers. There's hydrogen, you know, fuel boilers. Is that something that you guys talk about? Uh, you know, in the in the in the laboratories of Lochinvar and, and and uh, and o. Smith.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And we, uh, I visited the ish show as well. And, uh, yeah, you see lots of heat pumps. It's actually really interesting <laughs> to see the transition there, right? There's high efficiency gas boilers, and there was a lot of work around hydrogen and, you know, it really, it felt like maybe that was the direction things were going to go. And then all of a sudden it's, it's heat pumps everywhere. Yeah. Uh, if they had a boiler, they had it kind of tucked away in the booth, and, and not, you know, upfront and visible for the most part. So that, that was a definitely a very interesting show. But absolutely, we talk about, you know, hybrid solutions. In fact, back to Josh's point about pragmatism, uh, you know, we're absolutely an advocate of, of hybrid solutions. Um, we've been in the, the hydronics and water heating industry for a long time. We've got a good understanding of of these systems. And, uh, you know, we think heat pump technology can, can play a role in, in, our overall decarbonization goals, uh, but you know, high efficiency gas is still still a big part of that, um, and, and electric products as well. And and so we we feel like it's a it's a good opportunity to bring those together, and uh, and tackle this from a, a pragmatic way.
1: Josh, you mentioned earlier how the sausage is made, and I'm I'm curious. We talked about how we train contractors and our end users, wholesalers, our reps. How do you work with the policymakers in training them about the product and uh, the technology that our industry uses to make homes hot, water hot, homes cool? You know, how do you train the, the policymakers that you work with?
3: Well, Tim, I wish I could say that we we train them. Um, we could probably think of some other, um, verbs and adjectives, but, um, (laughs) I was being kind, (laughs) very good, sir. And, and yes, part of my role kind of from a, looking at it from a business perspective is marketing, right? Um, I'm just doing a different kind of marketing, um, because there's a nexus between, um, policymakers and their bigger ideas and moving, towards a policy goal, like climate change, uh, versus staff, versus agency, or people that work inside, for example, the Department of Energy, or inside the California Energy Commission, that have spent, in some cases, careers, you know, working on these regulations, some of whom are mechanical engineers. Many aren't, but but there are a few. Um, So you have a much different substantive conversation with the folks that are actually doing that, the heavy lifting and the writing. um, And that's a much different dialogue. What we have to do with the policymakers who give direction (laughs) to those agencies is more of a one on one. Right. And you bring it as much to the personal as possible. So you talk about your water heater. What kind of water do you have? Hmm. I don't know. I just turn on the faucet and uh, I turn on the shower, right? And, you know, you start that way and piece by piece, um, you you get as personal as you can. Um, And then from there, it it provides an opportunity to talk a little bit more about, all right, well, this is how the product works. This is how we make the product. Here are the different attributes, characteristics of the product. Uh, That falls into um, the manufacturing process, supply chain, workforce. So I I do a lot of that, um, I'll call it educating as opposed to training, but having been a congressional staffer when I was a much younger man, uh, and I first arrived here in in Washington, D.C., um, I've seen it from both sides, and um, you really need to be able to distill, especially when it comes to a manufactured product, um, distill that down to its basics and then build up from there. That's just a snapshot about how we approach it. Um, a lot of times that's very effective. Um, occasionally you do run into a member, um, of Congress or at the state level that happens to be an engineer or has a PhD or has a law degree or something, and they want to kind of go at it with you. Uh, so, you know, you have to be nimble and, um, know your audience. Uh, generally speaking, if we talk about it that way, um, we get pretty good results.
0: Well, Josh I was gonna say you look you look like a young man for being in washington d c for <laughs> for many years and And I'm sure you come across people that maybe don't believe in climate change. Tim, you ever know of anybody um you know on mm-hmm. washington? Or, I,
1: I, i'm I may know a few people in Washington like that. <laughs> or,
0: or past well, we won't get into that. Um, so uh, you know when you when we kicked off the podcast, you said both of you worked together fairly regularly what what does that mean how how often what what are you what are you doing
2: so i i, I can speak there I, I reach out to josh uh pretty regularly at this point to get you know updates on on what's happening what what what's he hearing and as i'm putting together product roadmaps or I'm, I'm leading a team that's developing a product because things especially state local levels they're all shifting changing and it's different you know there's uh folks going about it in different ways in terms of how they're, they're regulating um, change. And so I'm, I'm having to stay connected with him to be sure that I'm taking that information back to our product development team. So making sure our product roadmap is aligning uh, with some of the changes that are coming up. So the, the expertise that, uh, that Josh gains with his time in, in D.C. there is vitally important to me and, and my team here.
0: Well, you'd mentioned that you're kind of on a three year trajectory. Is that right, Jennifer?
2: Yeah, that's our that that's our roadmap that we kind of get in front of, you know, every function in the company, and and make sure that we're kind of on the same page on the near term. But we look much further out. I mean, we're looking at five and ten year uh, roadmaps when you know within like the the product management team here.
0: Because I was thinking maybe three years is you know every four years there's a. There's a thing called an election in D.C. where you never know the whole policy might change, and a
2: yeah, and and we go through that process. We actually go through that roadmapping process every single year. Mm-hmm. So you know we may have a three-year roadmap laid out today. A change happens, uh, you know, in in policy or uh, you know a DOE minimum efficiency change comes out, and and we may make a shift in our roadmap. Um, so we really try to stay flexible and nimble. And deploy the the resources in the right places.
1: And I hope when Josh isn't politicking and Jennifer isn't creating some cool new product, you guys actually do have R and R time where you get you get to enjoy things in life and have hobbies. <laughs> I'm I'm curious, Josh, Jennifer, what are what are your hobbies?
2: I have three kids, um, so I don't know if you get that as a hobby. Uh, I'll but keep busy. between uh, work and just trying to keep up with those three. That's about all I got time for right now. That's cool. Uh, but I do, yeah, I enjoy spending time with my family. We, we, we take trips, you know, we it, it, something as simple as laying around watching a movie. You know, I just love getting that family time in. Uh, but, uh, you know, so as far as things like, you know, I don't golf or woodwork or anything like that.
3: Very similar to to Jennifer in in that um, I also, uh, my wife and I have three children, although uh, they are twenty, eighteen, and 16, um, and they've kept us busy uh, for sure. Um, And I am a golfer. I'm not an every weekend golfer. That stopped when our oldest was born 20 years ago because the the chairman and CEO of the household said, (laughs) nope, nope, can't be disappearing for four to five hours on the weekend. And uh, so I, I do that. I you know, uh, putz around um, in the yard. Having grown up in New York City, I didn't have a yard until I lived in the suburbs. So that's that's interesting for me. Um, but, you know, uh, spending time with family is important. So uh, yeah. it's interesting that, you know, Jennifer and I both say that because that's also something that's very important at, at our company. Yeah, um, Family is very important. Um, we're a family-focused company, so it doesn't surprise and shouldn't surprise anyone um, listening to folks who are working at our company when their employees say family, <laughs> because it is it is important.
2: See, I've been here 12 years now, and that's a big part of, of the reason I stay. The, the culture that we have here, very family-centric and it's always been important to me. And, I, and like Josh said, you'll, you'll hear many of our employees express the same uh, sentiment.
0: I just want to thank you both for jumping on and um, providing some really good information. Um, really appreciate it. Happy to do it. Yeah. Thanks for having us.